As you look at scripture, you will have noticed that there are themes and symbols that run throughout the Bible, like bright threads. Themes like the symbol of trees and banquets, younger sons and shepherds. There's also a theme that runs through the Bible about blindness. The first way we see blindness in the Bible is that absence of sight, the malady of the eyes. It was much more common in Bible times than it is now. There were remedies and centers of treatment for blindness then. To be blind then meant that you would not be able to work, so that you would have to beg for your food. And so often, blind people were in such a dire condition that they came to Jesus for healing. We see the healing of a blind man in Mark 8. Jesus and the disciples came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to him and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, can you see anything? The man looked up and said, I can see people but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he looked intently and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Then Jesus sent him away to his home. Do you notice the details? Jesus really had to work on the man to relieve his blindness. He spoke personally to the man. He came up close and touched him, and he used a real personal ingredient. There must not have been any water left in the Nalgene that day. And the man was partly healed. And so then Jesus tried again. This time, after Jesus healed him, the blind man saw clearly. Jesus healed him of his blindness and restored him to his former life. Most of the time, blindness is mentioned in scripture, not as a medical condition though, but as a spiritual state. Here are the words of the prophet Jeremiah to his beloved people who were ignorant of their true situation before God. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Do you not fear me, says the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? Today we're gonna think together about the kind of blindness that is like that, the willful and acquired kind, the kind that Jeremiah talked about. People who are beloved by God but in terrible trouble because they don't see right what's in front of them. They don't see the reality of their sin. I'm gonna tell you some stories today about seeing and not seeing. So, see what you think. I read the Humans of New York posts on Facebook. They're done by a young man named Brandon who's an Atlanta native. He walks around New York City, he finds interesting people, he takes their pictures, and he asks them for their stories. One day a few years ago, he happened upon a couple of men sitting on a park bench. We're eye doctors, they said. What's something about the eye that people don't really know, Brandon asked them. One of the doctors said, the eye doesn't see, the brain sees. The eye just transmits. So what we see isn't only determined by what comes through the eyes. 
We, what we see is affected by our memories, our feelings, and by what we've seen before. In other words, what you've seen and felt and thought before affects what you're able to see today so that you might not be seeing what's really there. You might be seeing what your past history or habits have told you you're seeing. You might have eyes, but not really see, as Jeremiah said. When we first moved to the Philadelphia area for my husband to go to med school and me to seminary, we were some real oddballs from the South on our block. When people heard that we were from Atlanta, some of them would draw close and share their most awful racist thoughts. Sure, we would agree with them because we were white and from the South. We did not agree and we said so. And they would pull back in confusion. Sure, they had seen us correctly, but what they thought they saw did not match with who we really were. We don't always know who we have in front of us. We don't all match our stereotyped personas. Let me tell you about another case of someone who didn't see me as I really was. Another story about eyes that don't see while we lived there in the Philadelphia area, there was a big farmer's market that I loved to go to. One day I saw they had okra in a big barrel. My southern heart was drawn and I went over and was picking through it, finding the okra that was tender and small. A black lady stood nearby watching me and she looked at me sternly. I said, hey. She said, you don't know what that is. I said, I do know. She said, what? I said, it's okra. She said, uh-huh. What are you gonna cook with it? I said, well, it could be okra and tomatoes or gumbo. She said, you do know what it is. And there over the okra barrel, we bonded as displaced Southerners. We picked our okra out together. We shared recipes with each other. She saw me at last and I saw her. When we really see and hear each other, we can be friends. We can move beyond assumptions to the real person who's in front of us. Now we're getting the hang of this problem of seeing but not seeing. Let me tell you about a time that I had eyes but did not see. It was when I was a freshman at Duke University I joined the corral and I went to a mixer where we all put on name tags and met the other freshmen. We were all super awkward and shy. I saw a young man across the room who had, gosh, he had my same last name on his name tag. I walked up to him and said, hey, we have the same last name. Where's your family from? He looked at me wearily and said, Florence, South Carolina. I said, my family's from near there. I wonder if we're relatives. He said, yes, I wonder if we are. I suddenly saw in a way I hadn't seen before, he was black and I was white. Our families were from the same area. We shared a last name. He understood much earlier than I did the dangerous ground, the painful ground I was carelessly walking through. My family in the past 
most likely enslaved his family, hence the same last name. And I saw it in an instant. I stammered out, I am so sorry. And I hid myself in the women's bathroom for the rest of that mixer. Now you can say, well, there you both were as freshmen at this great university on level ground that is entirely due to someone else's hard work and the grace of God. It does not erase what my family most likely did to his. It does not make up for it. I did check with my family. And yes, we did benefit from the enslavement of others. Our family rose on other families' destruction. Your family may have the same past history. I saw that clearly for the first time that day as a freshman. I still see it. It is so wrong. You may say, well, but you didn't do it. Yes, I didn't do it. But we're seeing every day the fruits of that past wrong, even so many years later. I can't erase the past, but at least I should clearly see it and how it lives and moves and affects lives today. Because that evil from the past was woven into our lives as a nation, and it has its effect to this day on all of us, both black and white. What did Jesus say about eyes that don't see? From the Gospel of Matthew, for this people's heart has grown dull and their ears are hard of hearing and they have shut their eyes so that they might not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Jesus sees that there are those who hear his teachings and parables who resist them. They have Jesus right in front of them but are so shut down they can't see or hear him. What would happen if they did? I would heal them, he says. There's something about listening and learning and staying close to Jesus that relieves our blindness, our eyes that don't see what's right in front of us. In him, we see the good news that God has found a new way to bring us together, to forgive us, to live in and with us, to heal old wrongs. In him we see a new way to be with each other, not as enemies, but as friends, as equals, as brothers and sisters, forgiven, restored to what we should have been. Knowing Jesus corrects our eyesight. It relieves our blindness. Saul found out firsthand what happens when you know Jesus. Here he is on the road to Damascus, he was on the way to wipe out Christians there. Saul was struck blind on that road and while blinded, he suddenly saw his life, his work, his Lord like he had never seen them before. His vision and his life was changed forever. Paul needed to lose his sight to gain it. He wasn't able to see God clearly unless his old way of seeing was taken from him. When his sight was restored, he saw the Christian Ananias in front of him, not as an enemy to be jailed, but as the means of his healing and restoration. He saw a man he would have despised and knew him for a brother in the means of his healing. 
Acts 9, 18 says, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once. He arose and was baptized. The old way of seeing Christians and Christ himself was totally gone. Now he would no longer persecute them. He would become one of them. He would spread the gospel he once tried to wipe out. I have, you have, eyes that see as they do because of the way we were brought up, our families of origin, their values, the things we take in in the news, the radios, on podcasts, articles, and books. We see the way we do because we were shaped to see that way. But it could very well be that we are not seeing all there is to see, that we're closing our eyes to things we don't want to see. It could be we're not allowing Jesus to take away our blindness. We may see the word protester and hear rioter or looter. It's not always so. We may hear the name of a neighborhood and say, that's a bad neighborhood. We may watch a demonstration and despise them all for rabble rousers instead of just protesters. We may see a statue and say history, while for another, it is a symbol of their ongoing oppression. We may see a person of a different color and react to what we've heard and seen before, not the real person themselves. Right now, the way we've seen things influences the way we are able to see. And for most of us, it is time to open our eyes in a new way. We can't keep seeing the same old way. And the truth before us is this. We are a divided nation. We are full of distrust and division around race and poverty, policing and health care, and which neighborhood is for me and which is for you. We are divided, scarred, and embattled. We can continue to shut down our eyes and pretend, as a friend does, that she's just going to live in her garden and kitchen and not raise her eyes to the world outside. We can continue to let our party or social group speak for us. As an old friend of mine said, I know what I know and I am not changing now. A friend of mine looked at a photo of black hospital cleaning women and said, masks ladies, as if those beloved women had access to masks. They did not, but they cleaned the hospital full of sick people anyway. Those dear friends have eyes and ears and they cannot see. But Jesus came to open our eyes and restore us to trust and kinship. If we come to him, he will heal us. We're living through some very hard times now. I've heard several friends say, well, I think we're in the end times. I think this is the apocalypse. Especially they said this when the pandemic first began to shut things down. And I have to say, the locusts in Africa and the murder hornets did really seem like they were straight from the book of Revelation. And then the upheaval began in our streets over the chronic trouble with policing racism and violence, then people really began to use that apocalypse word. We use that word apocalypse as though its only meaning is the end, the end of history, civilization, the world as we know it. That's the way popular culture uses the word apocalypse. 
You'll remember now that Jesus said in Matthew 24, concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. There will be a time when time's up, but is that time now? My hunch is that we have got some more living and learning to do, some more time to change ourselves and our world for all people. We cannot just give up, throw our hands in the air and say, I think it's the end time and close our doors. We have our work cut out for us, work beyond outrage, as Rich talked to us about last week. I've been listening to the Bible Project podcast. It's a series done by two lovable Bible nerds, Tim Mackey and Jonathan Collins. I recommend it to you. Recently, they have studied apocalypse, and they teach that our definition of that word doesn't totally jive with the ancient meaning of the word. That word meant not the end of all things, but to the original hearers, it meant to uncover to unveil or to reveal. That's why the apocalypse of John is also known as the revelation to John. What was revealed or unveiled to John? What John saw unveiled was the way God sees the world, its rulers, its cruelty, the buying and selling and suffering of the innocent. God sees that same thing now. What was revealed to John was the way God brings justice and sets all things right that are wrong in the world. God still wants to do that. He wants to do that through you and me. What God unveils for John is justice for all tyrants, vindication for those who are innocent and wronged. Those are things for us to work on at God's side too. Does it sound like God's revelation of what's happening, God's apocalyptically revealing the way God sees things is a call to action for Christians? Because it does to me. To Dr. Mackey's way of thinking, apocalypse is not about the end. It is about God's new beginning. Apocalypse means that God is opening our eyes to see a new way of living. Apocalypse is not so much about God bringing the whole creation and closing everything down, but God bringing us all into right relationship, bringing us back into the garden we lost, bringing us closer to him and to each other. Apocalypse means a new way of life is unveiled to us better by far than what we put together ourselves. Here's what Dr. Mackey says about the way we should think of apocalypse. The purpose of apocalyptic is really clear, to give us a heavenly perspective on our earthly circumstances so that every generation of God's people can be challenged, comforted, and given hope for the future. So if we understand apocalypse that way, I hope that we are having one, meaning that I hope God is unveiling to us what our world looks like from his perspective. I hope God is unveiling to us the right way to see. 
I hope God is ushering in a new way to live together for us all. I want to bring you back to our blindness and God's gift of sight that many are having given to them now. Here is a story of a man who had his eyes unveiled so that he really saw what's happening around him. Greg Garrett tells this story. He is a white Anglican pastor. He said, as I pulled up in front of our house yesterday and started unloading our groceries, a car pulled into our cul-de-sac, not too close, but close enough that I knew they were waiting on me. As I bumped the door closed, my hands full, I saw a black man in his 30s standing at the door of a pickup truck and a boy sitting in the front seat about my Sophie's age. He asked me if this was 7905, our address, and I said yes. Then he stepped from the door of his truck, his hands raised a little, palms toward me, and he stopped some distance away, further than that required by social distancing. He told me his name, the name of his son. He said he attended Doss Elementary School with our Sophie. We're here to pick up his class t-shirt, he said. I realized all of a sudden that all of this, the posture, the detailed explanation, the distance, even his waiting to address me until I had gathered all my things from my car was to put me at ease, to let me know he belonged in my neighborhood, that he was not a threat of some sort. And I was stricken. Of course, I said. I think I saw a bag with your name on it right up on my front porch. My hands were full, but I motioned with my head, please, come on up. We walked together toward the front door. He picked up the bag and smiled at me. On the way back, he stopped in the driveway and he turned back towards me. Have a blessed day, he said. Then he climbed in the trunk and handed the bag to his son who excitedly pulled out his t-shirt and I went into the house. I did not feel blessed. I felt wrecked. Two dads who love their fifth graders, one black, one white. Two very different experiences, two very different lives. I'm haunted by his hands, slightly raised in plain view. I mean no harm they said. I'm haunted by his son watching the entire interaction, learning probably for the thousandth time how a black man has to act to make clear he is not a danger. I'm haunted by the fact that I never ever had to give my two sons the talk, the conversation in African-American families about how a young black man can maximize his chances to come home alive and unharmed. And I'm haunted that I am only late in my life recognizing in ways large and small how people of color are forced to compensate in ways I have never noticed because I have never had to. I can't believe, he says, I've been asleep my whole life. Don't sleep through a great revolution was Dr. Martin Luther King's message and I guess it is also mine today. Don't sleep through a revolution or keep your eyes closed on it. What do you see when God opens your eyes? What gets revealed about the way God sees our world? 
And why are we seeing so much clearly and reacting so much more now? Because we saw it on TV. We saw the murders, the protests. Because we saw that our black friends are subject to violence we never face, we saw it and our eyes were uncovered. Maybe it's because during this pandemic, we have the time to see. And is what we're seeing the end? Or is there, with God's help, hope for a new beginning? Is it possible that there is a new way of living right at hand? My hope and prayer is that God does not have to go around us to change our world for the better. My prayer is that God can go through us to bless our world. He can only go through us if we will let him open our eyes and so that we can truly see. God has for us a new beginning and he wants to give us a new city, not the way we make our city, but God's own city. Listen to what John of Revelation saw. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, see, I am making all things new. Won't you pray with me now? Lord, open our eyes so that we can see the world as you see it. Reveal and unveil the truth so that our eyes are open to it. Lord, we want a city, a country, the way you would make it. Help us to work with you beyond outrage to make our city, our country, look more like heaven. Help us to join you as you bring a new heaven and a new earth and restore all things. In Christ's name and with eyes open, amen.